Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ National. Presented by me, Alison Balance. Great White Sharks. And I think we'll drop the theme music about now because we no longer think of sharks as mindless killers. Over the past 20 or so years, electronic satellite tags have given us increasingly sophisticated insights into their lives. And research here in New Zealand and across the ditch in Australia has raised a very interesting question. Are the great whites on either side of the Tasman actually just one big family? I check in with Malcolm Francis from Niwa and Barry Bruce from Australia's CSIRO to find out about their research and their sharks. Here's Barry. I've actually been studying sharks in Australia since the late 1980s. In fact, it was only the other day that I realised it was 30 years ago this year that I first set my eyes on a white shark and dissected it to get biological samples. Where did that white shark come from? This was a period when I was living in South Australia and working for South Australian Fisheries, and it was uh, a shark that was caught, sadly, after a a shark attack where a, a diver went missing, and the police impounded the shark, and that was on the news, and they said that they were going to look at the shark for evidence of it being involved in the attack, and I rang up the police, and I said, look, when you finish your forensic examination, would you mind if I uh, had an opportunity to, to uh, examine the shark? Because in those days, 30 years ago, we know, knew very little about white sharks. And they said to me, you knew something about sharks? Could you come down and help us? So that's really how it started. And after that period, then this was well before white sharks were protected in Australia, I was able to garner uh, information and samples from fishers that caught white sharks accidentally in their fishing operations, where they would bring them back into shore, I would examine them, and they would get the jaws in return. Of course, that's illegal nowadays to do so, but it started me off on a long-term project to understand white sharks in Australia. So you said you didn't know very much about them. What kind of things did you know? That they weren't white. (laughs) (laughs) And that was about it. (laughs) Yeah, it was about it. That was pretty much it. Look, 30 years ago, we we really only had rudimentary knowledge of, of white sharks around the world, not only in Australia. We didn't know very much about their movement patterns we only had information from, from game fishing tag recaptures in Australia in those days, and there were very few of those. We knew very little about their biology in general or their reproductive work, and, and some of Malcolm's early work was, um, was instrumental in, in, in that, but uh, that was another 10 years before, before that, that work was done. So we knew very little about them, but as it turns out, nowadays they're one of the most studied sharks around the world. So Malcolm... 30 years ago in New Zealand, what did we know about our sharks? Very little. My first encounter with a a white shark was when I saw in a newspaper that a pregnant female had been caught at North Cape in the 1990s, and uh, I realised this was pretty unusual, and in fact unusual internationally. So we managed to get hold of the fisherman who had caught the shark, and it turned out that he'd uh, uh, dumped the 
mother uh, and uh, her babies in the water off the Awanui Wharf. And uh, so we, we persuaded him to wander into the water by the wharf and he retrieved two of the babies. Um, babies is a, is a strange word for these, these little sharks because they're about a metre and a half long and 26 kilos, so they're pretty large babies. So that was the first time I came across white sharks and we were able to contribute quite a bit to the knowledge of uh, reproduction in white sharks uh, at a conference that followed a year or two later. And um, uh, coincidentally, uh, another paper presented to the same conference by a Japanese scientist found very much the same, that these uh, babies are fed by their mothers inside the uterus uh, with a whole bunch of eggs that she produces. And they develop these big, large stomachs, bulging stomachs and large livers so that by the time they're born, they have a lot of energy stored in the liver and they can uh, probably survive for a few weeks before while they learn to feed. So a lot of that early information was obviously coming from dead sharks, but at what point did you start studying live sharks? Well, that's an interesting story in itself. My first foray into live white sharks was with the Cousteau Society. So Jacques Cousteau, and, and although Jacques wasn't on board, his brother Michel was, they were documentary makers, obviously, in their, 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 their day, and they, they came to Australia to make a, a documentary on white sharks, and they came to South Australia. And by then, I was well known amongst the fishing community for wanting information on white sharks, and they invited me out on their trip. And uh, the first white shark that I saw that was alive was at a place called Buffalo Reef in the middle of Spencer Gulf. And we tagged sharks out there with these plastic streamer tags. In those days, what that tag would give us is that we knew where the shark was tagged, where the, the location, and if it was caught again, we would just draw a straight line between those two points and that's where the shark went. But then electronic tags came along. So when did you start using those? So... We first started using electronic tags in 2000 and 2001. In fact, we were using satellite tracking tags back in those days in southeastern Australia. In those days, you, you couldn't just go to the supermarket and buy electronic tags, uh, satellite tags off the shelf, almost like you can do now. We had to make them ourselves. And so we got our, our electronic engineers in CSIRO to make us satellite tracking tags with components that we sourced from New Zealand, as it, as it turned out. And they worked very well, and it was our first insight into what sharks did after you tagged them and how far they went and how fast they swam. And what were they doing? Where were they going? Well, in, in the first tags that we deployed were on juvenile white sharks in southeastern Australia, off, off southeast Victoria. And we found that those sharks in, in those days moved up the New South Wales coast. But the battery life of the tags we used in those days uh, was only sufficient for us to get a couple of months of tracking. We then started applying those same tags to larger white sharks in South Australia, and by that time we'd managed to improve the battery life. That was at the time when most people believed that white sharks generally lived around seal colonies. And we were able to show back then that they indeed they didn't live around seal colonies at all. They just visited seal colonies. And during a lot of the time of, of the, the year, they spent their time distant from those seal colonies and, in fact, moved as far north uh, as northwest Western Australia from South Australia itself. So several thousand kilometres. That was our first inkling that it wasn't quite the same as what we traditionally believe that white sharks lived in one area. 
So you have sharks that go up your east coast, sharks that go up your west coast. What have you found out about those sharks? Are, are they all the same population? So after we tagged a number of sharks, both east and western of Bass Strait, in South Australia and Western Australia, and then along the east coast of New South Wales, a curious pattern started to emerge. When we started to look at where white sharks in eastern Australia went and when where white sharks in South Australia and Western Australia went, they were doing different things. And it appeared that there was very little crossover between those two regions. Sharks tagged in eastern Australia generally stayed in eastern Australia and sharks tagged in South Australia and Western Australia tend to stay in those areas as well and move quite extensively across their range. When we looked at with our colleagues from the University of Queensland, the genetics of these sharks, east and west of Bass Strait, it became even clearer that that pattern and the tagging movements was moving into a population signal. And it appears that we have two populations of white sharks in Australian waters, separated east and west of Bass Strait. But the story became even more interesting after we tagged a few more white sharks off eastern Australia. Even small white sharks, some of, the, some of the sharks that we're tagging were less than two metres. And one in particular, in 2007, swam down the New South Wales coast, leaving the continental shelf at about Sydney, and swam directly across the Tasman Sea to New Zealand. It hit the middle of the, the west coast of the South Island, headed north and up through Cook Strait, past Wellington, and out across the Chatham Rise, where we eventually lost the signal. So that was one of the first inklings that we had that there was a link with New Zealand. And, and since that time, we've had a number of sharks go from Australia and to New Zealand. And during, during that period, we've also been able to get samples and compare Australian and New Zealand sharks, and we've found that there's a genetic link between them. So essentially it appears that we share our population of white sharks with New Zealand. Well, that's certainly the pattern that you've seen with your electronic tagging, isn't it, Malcolm? Yes, we, uh, we started tagging white sharks at the Chatham Islands and then later on moved our focus to Stewart Island. And in both places, we were, we were quite astonished early on to find that animals we tagged headed off north in winter and uh, out over the open ocean, and uh, most of them ended up in the tropical islands to the north or northeastern Australia and Queensland. They seem to be heading off on winter holidays into warmer waters and crossing open ocean to get there. So we ended up with quite a few sharks uh, hitting the Australian coast. They, they tend to arrive at northern New South Wales or south, southeast Queensland and then stay there for several months over the summer. Sometimes they turn around and head back later in the year down the, down the east Australian coast uh, but other times they just head straight back across the ocean and a large proportion of them ended up coming straight back to where we tagged them. So by means of photo identification work, we were able to recognise sharks that we tagged the previous year and they just turned up back in Stewart Island, uh, having been away for about seven months of the year. So these sharks that we used to think of as cold water sharks, uh, resident in New Zealand, are not that at all. They, they spend a good part of their life in the tropics and they're not our sharks. They, they belong as much to the South Pacific and Australia. Where are the islands that they also travel to? So some go to Australia, some spread out across the Pacific. They ended up in an arc of islands from New Caledonia across to Vanuatu, Fiji and Tonga. 
So pretty much all the islands to the north and northwest of New Zealand. Have any of your Australian sharks ever gone to any of those islands? That's an interesting point because um, we too have sharks in Australia go up to the tropics. But Australia extends from the latitude of New Zealand, obviously, right up to the tropics. And we don't see the same level of offshore activity that the sharks that Malcolm has tagged. Sharks in Australia tend to move more along the continental shelf to get from their southern boundaries up, up to the tropics. We do have sharks that, that make offshore excursions, apart from the sharks that have gone to New Zealand. But by and large, that's generally been in areas of the Great Australian Bight, where we've had sharks go offshore for some periods and then come back. There's a little bit of offshore activity up on northwest Western Australia, but it's really intriguing. The, the sharks that we've had go to the tropics in eastern Australia have gone to exactly the same area that the sharks that have come to Australia from New Zealand and headed up to the tropics have gone to as well. And that's this large area just below the Great Barrier Reef. It's a really interesting area. It's got a lot of upwelling, a lot of productivity, a lot of fish life up there as well, and that's presumably why the sharks are going there. But at this stage, none of the sharks that we've tagged in Australia have gone to some of the other places that Malcolm talks about, places like New Caledonia or Tonga or, or Vanuatu. I find that really interesting that there's this connectivity between New Zealand and Australia, but then at the same time your sharks, our sharks, are doing quite different things. That's true, and I, I think that's in part one of the mysteries that we're yet to solve. And I, I think the other thing we, we have to keep in mind is that although we've seen some really good patterns in the, the sharks that we've tagged, the numbers of sharks that we've actually tagged is still pretty low. I'm pretty sure that as we tag more sharks, we'll, we'll start to understand the dynamics of this connectivity a little bit better. What are the ages and sexes of the sharks that you've mostly been seeing around Stewart Island and the Chatham Islands, Malcolm? Most of the animals we see are either males. Uh, males dominate the, uh, the sightings and uh, the numbers that we've tagged. Uh, they're both mature and immature animals, but uh, we, we get a bunch of sub-adult females, but very rarely do we see the large mature females. Females grow larger than males. They, they grow well over six metres. Males not nearly as big, and so it's quite a puzzle as to where the large females are. We've only ever recorded two pregnant females in New Zealand, and uh, we've had occasional sightings of large females over about five metres long at both the Chathams and Stewart Island, but uh, that's pretty rare, and we've never managed to tag one of those animals. So we still really don't know what they are doing, uh, interestingly, some of the animals we tagged at Stewart Island headed south to the Auckland Islands before they headed off to the tropics. And uh, when we looked at the size and sex of those animals, most of them were large females. So we wonder if the larger body size of the females uh, enables them to withstand colder water down at the subantarctic islands because they're warm-blooded and a large body size uh, probably insulates them better against the uh, the cold. So. They might be heading down there to look for sea lions or right whale calves uh, before they head off to the tropics. How cold does the water get down there? During the uh, winter it can drop to five or six degrees on the surface. Uh, our tags are able to record temperatures, uh, which gives us some really interesting information on, on the, the range that they, uh, they, they experience. And the lowest temperature we recorded was down near the Auckland Islands at 2.7 degrees, and that was at the surface. It, was a, it must have been in a tongue of cold water coming up from the Antarctic. 
Uh, at the other end of the uh, spectrum, we've had uh, temperatures of over 27 degrees recorded up in the tropics. So that's an enormous range of temperature to, to experience. Do you have any idea where the little sharks in New Zealand are, where they're born, where they hang out when they're small? Yes, uh, Clinton Duffy from the Department of Conservation is doing some good work on juvenile white sharks that are found in the large harbours around the Auckland region. So Kaipara and Manukau harbours are, are quite important areas, we think. We, we don't see the large aggregations along the coast uh, that Barry has seen in Australia, so we're not quite sure if there are areas we're missing. There are other areas uh, where there are more around, but uh, it's been quite a struggle to find the really small ones. At Stewart Island, most of the animals we see are over two and a half metres long, and uh, they're born at about one and a half metres. So there's a period of uh, uh, probably two or three years uh, over that uh, one metre growth increment where we just don't know what they really get up to. Whereas that's a, a, an age range that you have quite a good handle on in Australia, I think. It's very true. We, we have uh, access to uh, smaller juveniles in much larger numbers than Malcolm and Clinton have been able to find in New Zealand. And, and that's probably another reason why we might see some differences in the movement patterns of sharks in eastern Australia. Because most of the ones we've tagged in eastern Australia are between... 1.7 metres and about 2.6 metres. So we really have been dealing with the missing year classes that Malcolm's been talking about. But still, we have seen some of these small sharks cross the Tasman Sea in the process of doing so, dive to over a 1,000 metres in very similar sort of depth that we see some of these larger sharks go. So... They can certainly travel great distances even when they're small and they can certainly dive to some of these large depths as well, although we haven't recorded, as, as Malcolm said, that the lower temperatures that you see the, the larger sharks being able to cope with. I think the, the uh, lowest temperature we've seen uh, a small white shark go to is about 6 degrees. It's still a dramatic temperature range that they can cycle through. So where are you seeing all these small sharks? Where are you doing all your research? Well, we see the movement of small white sharks right up and down the east coast of Australia, ranging from the southern Great Barrier Reef right down to southern Tasmania. But even though we get that wide-ranging movements, there are places along the coast that they seem to spend time at. And one of the favourite places that we like going to, because there's, there's an abundance of juvenile white sharks is a place called Port Stephens, or at least the coastal beaches of Port Stephens. It's in central New South Wales, uh, several hundred kilometres north of Sydney. And there's a 65-kilometre section of coast, and that's the geographic footprint of the nursery area. There's three beaches, Stockton Beach, what we call Hawke's Nest or Bennett's Beach, and Mungo Brush. And we can find at times... Um, up to 20 white sharks in a couple of days, just cruising up and down the uh, the shoreline looking for them. It's even better when you have aerial support like a helicopter uh, that can help spot animals for you. But we've been able to tag now over 50 juvenile white sharks up in that area with satellite tracking tags and acoustic tags that we put internally with a small surgical procedure. It's, it can be a bit exciting. But uh, nowadays, some of these tags, the acoustic tags, can last seven to ten years. So it gives us an opportunity to see how frequently these juveniles use this environment and 
how many years they come back for and where else along the coast that they can go. One of the nice things about the acoustic tags is they can be picked up by receivers anywhere in the world. So we we uh, were able to pick up one of Barry's tagged sharks in New Zealand at Stewart Island that swam past our receivers several times up, up the Otago coast and then back again. So that was really cool. And then some of the sharks we tagged at Stewart Island with the same type of tag were picked up by receivers off Sydney particularly, uh, but also uh, further north and at the Chesterfield Islands in, uh, in the Coral Sea. So the technology gives us this ability to track sharks going both directions. It makes it a very collaborative study. With this two-way traffic between sharks from New Zealand going to Australia and vice versa, are these the same population then? Well, so far the genetics suggest they are, and uh, genetic technology is improving as well, so things may change, but at the moment we think they are the same. But you don't need very much interbreeding to homogenise the genetics, so you might only need a, a few animals to cross over and breed with animals on the other side of the Tasman Sea to make them look like the same population. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they are totally uh, integrated and swimming backwards and forwards and mixing all the time. They may still mainly be separate from each other. Um, One of the interesting things is that most of the sharks we've tagged from New Zealand and Stewart Island have headed up to Queensland, but we don't get many of them going to New South Wales and uh, I don't think we've had any going to Victoria. So there's a lot of Australian sharks down there, but the New Zealand sharks don't seem to go there. They, they certainly mix in the Queensland area and northern New South Wales particularly, but uh, they do seem to have different behavioural patterns, but it looks like there's at least enough of them interbreeding to keep them as one genetic stock. Any idea how many sharks there are out there? That's certainly a topic that is hotly contested in, in public circles as as well as through uh, scientific circles as well. And the reason it's, it's such a controversial issue is that previously there's, there's really been no way to estimate population size. They're not the sort of animals you can just go out and count. And some of the techniques that we use to count fishes in the sea have relied on commercial catch rates or, or, um, or even recreational catch rates. And we just don't have the records for white sharks that uh, allow us to do that. So we've we've had to th- start thinking of other ways that you can estimate population sizes in these animals. And in in Australia, we we think we may have found a, another way of looking at this issue to see if we can resolve it. And it relies on looking at the genetic relatedness between individuals. So what we're able to do nowadays with the modern genetic technology is to fingerprint sharks to the point that we can type them for their parents. So even though we've never met the parents of a juvenile shark, for example, we can see the genetic signature of their mum and their dad. And we can use that to start looking at how big the population of mums and dads are. And it works a little bit like this. If there's only a small population of adults and you go out and sample juveniles and you take a tissue sample from them, you don't have to kill them, just take a tissue sample from them, and you genetically type them for their mums and dads, in a small population of adults, the chances of finding related juveniles, and by that I mean a, a baby shark that's, that's shared a mother or a father, the chances of finding them is quite higher, it's a lot higher than if it's a very large adult population and just going out and sampling, you're unlikely to find too many juveniles. And I, th- I think of it this way. If, if, 
if you're from a country town and you walk down the street, you're likely to run into somebody that you know because the population of the small country town is small. If you come from that country town and come to a big city, the chances of walking down the street and seeing somebody that you know is quite low because the population is a lot higher. So it's the same sort of principle. But you can you can use information on on the uh, on how many sharks you, you find that are genetically related to estimate the total population size of adults, and that's what we're trying to do in Australia at the moment. Barry's found through this technique that uh, some of the animals from New Zealand are genetically related directly um, through their parents with those in Australia. And so by including the New Zealand animals and tissue samples from New Zealand in his study, he's going to be able to hopefully uh, calculate a, a population size for both, well, for the entire stock, so for Eastern Australia and New Zealand combined. So that's going to be a fantastic advance in our knowledge. Like the the tagging technologies that we're using, where we across the Tasman are sharing information on which sharks are being detected on our, our receivers. We are also sharing tissue samples and, and it's, it's, a, it's a, just a wonderful way of cooperating between Australia and New Zealand to, uh, to resolve a, a, a question that's, that's long been asked but been short of answers. That was Barry Bruce from CSIRO in Australia, and we also heard from Malcolm Francis at Niwa. That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Kakite anō. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.